We as a congregation are enjoying going through the gospel of Luke because Jesus came and this changes everything. We're to Luke chapter 6 and as we've been going through this, give you just a little bit of context. Remember, it began with Jesus choosing the 12 apostles and then he sat them down along with the larger crowd of disciples and he started to deliver to them what might be the greatest sermon in the history of humankind. But in there, there were some really hard things that he started saying. Do you remember it? Like the Beatitudes? The Beatitudes is such a pump fake because it sounds like such a great thing. Beatitudes. That's where he said, blessed are you or happy are you when bad stuff happens to you. Right? And then he starts pronouncing woes. Like, woe to you if you're rich or if you're satisfied in this world. Ooh, dang. And then he said, love your enemies. Seriously? And then he called us all hypocrites. And and he said, quit being so judgy, which is my paraphrase of Pastor Jared's sermon last week, right? So like those are some hard things that he's saying there. And I imagine the disciples are all sitting there and they're going, Jesus, you got a huge following? You keep going with this stuff? You're going to kill it, man. You're going to end the show. Stop. Jesus, do you have discipleship light? Could I have that? Jesus, do you have discipleship for dummies? Or hey, Jesus, all that stuff you're saying, can you say it to me like I'm an eight-year-old? In fact, say it to me like I'm five. And now I'm just ripping off material from the office. So watch this. Here are our final actual costs for this year. Okay. As you can see, we did pretty well. Yes, yes, I can see that we did indeed. Why don't you explain this to me like I am an eight-year-old? All right, well, this is the overall budget for this fiscal year along the x-axis. Yes. There. There's the x-axis. You can see clearly on this page that we have a surplus of $4,300. Mm-hmm. Okay. But we have to spend that by the end of the day or it will be deducted from next year's budget. Why don't you explain this to me like I'm five? Your mommy and daddy give you $10 to open up a lemonade stand. So you go out and you buy cups and you buy lemons and you buy sugar. And now you find out that it only costs you $9. Oh. So you have an extra dollar. Yeah. So you can give that dollar back to mommy and daddy. But guess what? Next summer. I'll be six. And you ask them for money, they're going to give you $9. Because that's what they think it costs to run the stand. So what you want to do is spend that dollar on something now so that your parents think that it costs $10 to run the lemonade stand. So the dollar's a surplus. This is a surplus. We have to spend that $4,300 by the end of the day, or it'll be deducted from next year's budget. We should spend this money on a new copier, which we desperately need. Okay, break it down in terms of... I'm... Okay, I I think I'm getting you. (laughs) Oh, I just love that show. So if you look at Michael Scott right there, that posture he has, I imagine as Jesus is giving this sermon, I think that's how all the disciples probably looked right there. They're just, so, so give this to me, Jesus, can you give it to me like I'm eight years old? Okay, give it to me like I'm five. Okay, I think I'm getting you. And here's the thing. It's not that we don't quite understand what Jesus is saying. It's that we don't like it. That it's really hard that we think we might have a better way. We think maybe we can outsmart Jesus. Listen, you are not smarter than God. You got to hold on to that. Just like 
Michael Scott is never smarter than Oscar Martinez. Well, except that one time when he got it right about China's population, if you remember that. But that was the exception. But for you, you are never, never, never smarter than God. And Jesus says he's given this great sermon with hard stuff. He knows our rebellious hearts. He knows that we're going to try to be smarter than him. And, and so what he does is he wraps up that sermon with our passage this morning. And in that, there, there's kind of a draw the line in the sand kind of thing. This is a put up or shut up moment. This is go huge or go home. Jesus is calling us out. Look at it in Luke chapter 6, verse 46 and following. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now he begins this section, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Like, that's just weird. Before unpacking why that's so weird, I want you to catch a particular implication that's in here. Jesus is most concerned with those who call him Lord. He is not here calling out. He's not all upset about non-Christians who sin. Oh, certainly they stand condemned and they won't survive the flood. Their house will be ruined. I get that. But the problem is not so much that sinners sin. That's by definition. The problem is when saints sin. You see, the problem is not the water outside the boat. The problem is the water inside the boat. The problem is with those who call him Lord, Lord, and do not do what he tells them. That's his focus. That's his concern. Because after all, what does the term Lord mean? The problem is that we lose meaning of words over time, right? Like, let's take, for example, the word gentleman. Do you know the word gentleman, technically, originally, it meant a property owner? A man who owns property. Did you know that? No, we as a gentleman is a nice guy, well-mannered guy, a guy who's chivalrous, right? So we say, man, you are such a gentleman. And the guy responds, really? I rent. I don't own property. (laughs) See, that's weird, right? We've lost the meaning of the word. So the question is, what does the word Lord mean? Well, it means king, master, sovereign. How can you say, Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? That's weird. And in fact, this is a person, he didn't say Lord, he said Lord, Lord. Listen, in Hebrew, they don't have bold and italics, okay? The way you emphasize in Hebrew is you repeat things. That's why holy, 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 see, there's emphasis there. This is not Lord, this is Lord, Lord. This is to say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, my Messiah, you are my God. This is emphasized. How can you say that? This is Jesus saying, time out. How can you say that and then not do what I tell you to? That makes no sense. That's insane. And yet we do this. I'll call him Lord. I'll take the the title Christian. I'll go to church. 
at least Christmas and Easter, maybe more. Maybe I'll serve a little, maybe I'll give a little. But when Jesus starts saying hard stuff, hmm, I think Jesus is a nice gentleman. Nice guy that I can occasionally just ignore when he says stuff. I, don't, I think occasionally I'm smarter than him. You see that? How do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to? By saying Lord, Lord, I mean a guy that I can ignore. And that's weird. And so I think Jesus at this point is saying, listen, you keep using that word, but I don't think you know what that word means. I don't think the word means what you think it means. Did you hear Princess Bride in that? Watch this. Lord, Lord. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Yeah, obviously I edited it a little bit from inconceivable. Lord, Lord, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means, right? I mean, that's what's going on here. You're saying Lord, but you don't get what that word means. It means to do what he says. But there's more than just that implication of obedience. Listen, catch this. Lordship leads to life. Lordship leads to life. You see, so Lord is not only sovereign master. See, sometimes we think it's just that Jesus has given us random busy work to do to test our obedience. So, hey, take that pile of rocks, move it over there. Good, you're done. Move the same pile back. Good, you're done. Move it back. Don't argue, I'm Lord. You said Lord, Lord, you have to do it. We think, is that your image of Jesus? He's just given us random busy work to test our obedience? Listen, Lord not only means sovereign master, it also means loving creator. He loves you. And he created life. He is the inventor. He's the designer. He's the one who knows how it works. Everything that you've purchased comes with an instruction manual, right? Who writes the instruction manual? The one who invented it, the one who designs it, the one who knows how it works. And they're giving you those instructions not to jack with you, because they want you to get the best use out of it, right? And so here is the Lord, Lord, the inventor of life, saying, let me tell you how it works. Why would you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I love you. I'm trying to help you out here. You're not smarter than God. You never will be. Thinking that you are smarter than God is foolish. You will lose every time. And you'll lose not just because you're in disobedience, but you'll lose because you'll miss out on life. Because lordship leads to life. And so here, Jesus is trying to bless you. We'll see at the end of the passage that he's trying to help us avoid ruin. That to not build on Jesus means your house just gets destroyed. He's trying to help us avoid that because he's the inventor who loves you and he wants you to trust him. He wants you to do what he says. Do. In fact, this passage has a huge emphasis on what you do. Like if you look at the passage, there's a progression there in the second sentence. He says, everyone who comes, hears, does. Come, hear, do. Come, hear, do. Come here, come to Jesus, hear his words, and then go do them. Now, the first two are incredibly easy. I mean, to come to Jesus and to hear him preach, the guy is an amazing preacher. It's like he's God or something, right? So he's an amazing preacher. To come and hear Jesus, sweet. But then he starts saying things like, love your enemies. That's hard. Be humble instead of hypocritical. I expect you to go do that. Well, that's really hard. 
So I want to pull back in that moment. But you know what? Listen, talk is cheap. Actions speak louder than words. And Jesus is saying, what will you do? Nobody respects the guy that runs his mouth a lot, but he won't come out onto the mat and tie up with you. Nobody respects that guy. Jesus doesn't respect him either. Or what about the person that like, can always win at Bible trivia? Like this person's in your community group, right? They're ripping off verses all the time to impress everyone. Makes you feel like junk, right? And that guy, who he's also the meanest, stingiest, most judgmental person you know. This is a person who came and he heard, but he doesn't do. He might have even memorized and he might teach, but he's not doing. That's not what we're after here. And so what Jesus is going to do is he's going to tell the story of two different builders and the the emphasis will be on what they did. They both might have had the same exact knowledge about how important a foundation is. They might have gone to the same trade school. They might belong to the same trade union. They might be in the same builder's guild. The question is, what did you do? Did you build on soil or did you build on rock? What did you do? I imagine as the crowd is listening to Jesus, I imagine there were some amens there. Amen! Preach it, Jesus! Amen! And then afterwards, I can imagine people coming up to him saying, that was the greatest sermon ever. And it was. Actually, in this case, it was the greatest sermon ever. And and so they say, Jesus, I felt like you were speaking right to me. Awesome. Here's the question. What will you do? After the sermon, what will you do? How are you going to build? And so to tease this out, he tells this story, uh, a construction story about two different houses. Actually, that's not fully true. The houses might have been the exact same above ground, might have been the exact same house. But two different builders who laid two different foundations. It's hugely important because the foundation is the most important thing of the house. Sometimes it is as much work and takes as long to dig and build the foundation than it takes to build the structure above the ground. It's very, very important. You have to spend the sweat and the time to dig down to get to bedrock, to lay a firm foundation. So to help you catch that, I want to give you two examples. The first example is the Sky Tower in New Zealand. Now, as you look at that picture, if you cannot figure out which one is the Sky Tower, I have no hope for you. Okay? <laughs> so that Sky Tower there, it is uh, the tallest structure in the southern hemisphere. There are some taller towers in the north, but that is still an impressive 776 feet tall. It took two years and nine months to build that thing. A good part of that time was not above ground. It was laying the foundation. They dug down 50 feet. That's four to five stories underground. They built the foundation out of this high-performance, high-strength concrete. And the reason why is they knew they were going to slap this huge tower on top of it, and it had to stand. They built it so well, so this tower can withstand winds of 125 miles per hour. And it can sustain, it can stay put during a magnitude 8.0 earthquake. They build it really, really well. Now then, in your mind, contrast that 
with, with the houses in the Bluebird Canyon of Laguna Beach. Now, these were built on sand and silt and clay. And then in June of 2005, an enormous storm structure came through. And the heavy rain saturated the earth. And this is the result. 20 homes slid, were just destroyed in a moment. They didn't have foundation. They didn't have foundation. I heard Mark Driscoll, pastor, say that this is why if you go to a bank and you say, hey, I want to buy this house, it's on the beach, but it has no foundation, they're not giving you a loan, right? Because it's not their first rodeo. They know how that story ends, and so does Jesus. Jesus knows how that story ends. Now, unfortunately, we forget this sometimes because you and I, we were raised on the fairy tale of the three little pigs. You remember this? Here it is. So you got these three, and one built out of straw, and one built out of sticks, and one built out of bricks, right? And then the big bad wolf comes along, and he huffs, and he puffs, and he'll blow your house in, and he destroys the straw house, and the sick, but the brick house, that baby stood. The problem with the fairy tale, it's a lot similar to Jesus' story. But the difference is this puts all the emphasis on what's above ground. We ought to be looking at what's below ground, what the foundation is, right? So we think that we judge our lives and other lives by what we can see. And so I'm looking at you, I'm going, is that straw, is that sticks, or is that brick? Oh, look at her. That is a brick house. Look at that dude. That is a brick house. Listen, straw, sticks, or brick doesn't matter. It matters what your foundation is. Sticks on the rock, on the bedrock, is better than bricks on sand. Sticks on bedrock is better than bricks on, on sand. So we ought to check the foundation to have a sure foundation. Now, I, I don't know if you build out a stri- a sticks or bricks, but if you build out a straw, you're just a dumb pig. Okay, like, I, I, who builds out a straw? I don't get that part. I've got nothing for that. Okay, I can't help you. Can't help you. But here's the thing. We... We need a solid foundation. We need a solid foundation. This is what Jesus is pointing to. He's saying, look, you've got to build your life on something, and it will either be the shifting sands of the culture or it will be the solid bedrock of Jesus himself. Most people do not build on Jesus. Even those who come, even those who hear, even those who say, Lord, Lord, most don't build on Jesus. We take just what our culture offers us for granted. But here's the problem. Is slavery a good idea? You realize there was a time when our culture said yes. Shifting sand. What about uh, the Nazi Germany, uh, the stuff they did to the Jews, the Holocaust, concentration camps? Good idea, right? There was a time when a culture said yes. That's a good idea. Now, we stand at this point in history and we can look back on those and we know they're horrible and evil and wrong. But then in the same moment, you know what we do? We assume our culture is solid. It's the arrogance of modern culture to assume past cultures are idiots, but we're solid. And so as soon as God and our culture conflict, we go, God must be wrong. Isn't that weird? That's arrogant. Every culture is messed up. Every culture is shifting sand. And what we need is we need something solid. We need some, something or someone outside time, outside every age, outside every era, outside of every culture who can then look in and judge and say that's wrong and that's right. 
We need God himself. And so Jesus offers himself as the solid, unchanging rock on which we can build our lives. Please don't be misled by this, though. It's not about keeping the rules. It's not about keeping rules in order to impress God. Rules are not the rock. Jesus is the rock. Rules are not the rock. Jesus is the rock. It's about your faith in rock Jesus. Do you believe in him? Do you believe he's God? Do you believe that he's smarter than you? Do you believe that he loves you? Do you love him back? Do you trust him? Do you want him running your life? Or are you afraid he might be ruining your life? How do you feel about Jesus? You see, this is not about rules. This is about Jesus. This is about your faith, your belief, your view of God, your relationship with him. And yes, it will spill out into your actions. That if you have true, solid, real lordship, the real deal, yeah, it's going to come out in your actions. Absolutely. So when Jesus tells you to do something, do you say, dang it? Or do you say, thank you, because lordship leads to life? When Jesus tells you to do something hard, do you say, crap? Or do you say, sweet, because lordship leads to life? We ought to love it when Jesus speaks into our life. That guy, he knows what's going on. And so here you have Jesus. And what he's doing is he's saying, let me be the foundation of your life. But I want to take a moment and talk about why. He gives us a reason why in here. Did you catch it? The reason why is because storms are coming. The flood is coming. Now, it will be the ultimate flood when we stand before the judgment of God. And the question is, will you survive that? Like, if you build your life on Jesus, yes. If not, no. Yep, ultimate. But at the same time, he's talking about storms and floods that are here and now in this life. Like marriage. Marriage is hard. Raising kids, it's hard. Unemployment might come your way. Sickness, disease, injury, death of loved ones. Storms are coming. It's not if, it's when. Storms are coming. Floods are coming. And some of you have built your life on sand. You have no foundation. That's a house of cards. You're saying everything's going to work out just fine so long as there is not even a gentle breeze. But a storm is coming. And that's not a good foundation. Notice that according to this passage, the test of true discipleship is not whether or not storms come. It's whether or not you survive the storms. Can you withstand and respond well in the midst of storms. And so I'll be frank with you guys. Listen, in my life, my marriage is sometimes tough, just like yours. Uh, Raising kids, my son Caleb is now 19. Uh, He went through an incredible, incredible rebellious period. Let's all pretend like that's over. (laughs) It's awesome. Now, some of you are saying, yeah, well, all teenagers go through that. Like, I'm not going to give you details, but suffice it to say, it was excessively so and abnormal. I mean, when we uh, take on new members, we do a membership dessert. I had a member coming on who said, I work for the city of Ken. And in the midst of the group, I said, oh, really? What do you do for Ken? I'm a police officer. And I said, oh, you probably know my son. He said, yep. (laughs) Storms come. 
Storms come. I told you of my daughter over the last year, right? And, and her, she's an epileptic and she got on meds and, and then uh, her depression and anxiety erupted and she was suicidal. And I'll tell you what, there were storms just beating against our house all year long. But our house stood. As we built on Jesus, Jesus is our rock and he did not keep us from the storms. He kept us in the storms. Jesus is the rock. And he's warning you. He's pleading with you. He is begging you because he loves you. He wants you to build your life on the solid rock. You need a foundation that is solid because the floods will come. And the ruin will be great. And he wants you to avoid that. He wants you to go with lordship because lordship leads to life. You know what's interesting in the midst of this? You will pay a price either way. Either way, there's a price to pay. This is just a life principle. Like, okay, uh, how do you stay in shape? Diet and exercise. Diet and exercise. Now, that is hard to do day in, day out, right? That's hard. So skip it. And you know what's harder? Coronary heart disease. Way harder. You see where I'm going? Or or what about living within your means, like spending less than you make, living on a budget? You know, that is really hard to do week in and week out. But you know what's harder? Foreclosure and bankruptcy. It's way harder. See, you will pay a price either way. There will be a price to pay. Going against your culture when God says so, that's hard. Digging down deep and laying your life on the foundation of Jesus, that's hard. Following Jesus and doing what he says, that is hard. And so we say, I don't want to pay that price. I don't want that hassle. I want to build my life fast and easy. I'm going to skip that. And then we pay a price that's way higher later. Listen, if you look at this passage, Jesus is saying that could be your future right there if you're not careful. And so your options are hard now or ruin later. Those are your only options. There's no easy option. Easy's off the table. Hard now, ruin later. Choose well. Jesus loves you so much. He wants you to choose well. Another way I could state this is is this way. Listen, your life will be washed away, period. It will be. One of two ways. Either you will embrace lordship in Christ and you will allow him to wash the filth and and the worldliness in the flesh away over time such that nothing's left but Jesus himself. What a great and glorious life. Let Jesus wash your life away. Option A. Option B is watch as your life is washed away in destruction. The flood comes and it just knocks it all down. Your life will be washed away either way. I would rather go with option A to be right with my God, to walk with him, to love him, trust him, let lordship lead to life so that I could survive the storms that are coming, that are coming. It is tough. It is tough to dig down deep. It is tough to build on Jesus, but the storms are coming. And I need to let you know, once the storm gets there, it's too late. Some of you are going with the plan that, you know what, I'm gonna screw around now, but I'll build the foundation later. That's not the way it works. Florence had just destroyed on the east coast of our country, right? See, once the hurricane makes sure, like if you own a house out on the east coast in the path of the hurricane, and you say, you know what, I'll wait till the hurricane makes sure, and then it hits, and then you go, I think I'll drive to Home Depot now. 
I'm going to go buy some plywood and tack it up over the windows in the midst of a hurricane. It doesn't work. It's too late. You can't wait till the storm hits, the flood rises, and it washes your house away. And as your house floats away, you're trying to stick a foundation under it. Too late. You got to choose up front. Jesus wants you to choose. He wants you to lay a foundation on him so that you can survive. Now, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you dig down deep for bedrock? Well, I'm going to ask you to make some commitments this morning. And at the end of this time, just before I pray, I'm going to give you a chance to stand if you want to make these commitments. Look at them with me, if you will. I will love and trust Jesus as my rock. I will not just come and hear, I will go and do. And if God and my culture disagree, I'm going with God every time because I'm not smarter than God. I won't pull back just because discipleship gets hard. Because I realize my options are hard or ruin, and I choose hard. Easy's off the table. I will study my Bible. Because look, you've got to lay a foundation to your life. And it's found in the Word of God. And if you're like, I don't know how to do that, there are resources for you on our website so that you can start reading your Bible. And then lastly, I will link arms with a band of brothers, a circle of sisters. Because that's part of your spiritual foundation, the body of Christ around you. You need men and women in your life who are making those same commitments who can be there for you when the storms hit. These are commitments I want you to commit to, to decide on right now. This is a line in the sand. This is a put up or shut up. Go huge or go home. If you would like to make these commandments, these commitments, would you stand with me right now? Go ahead and stand up. If you don't feel led to, that's fine. You stay seated. That's okay. We love you. And then let me pray for you. Father God in heaven, I rejoice with these, my brothers and sisters, who stand with me right now to commit to these things. And yet at the same time, I realize that at most in this moment, we are saying, Lord, Lord. And the question is, what will happen once we leave here? What will we do? We want to repent, Lord, because so often we think we're smarter than you and you say hard stuff and we say no. Like somehow we know more about life than you do. Father God, we, we repent of that. And, and thank you so much for your kindness and your grace and calling us out, telling us, warning us. I realize you are God. You want to give us life. Thank you. Thank you for that. Lordship leads to life. And so, Father, we stand right now to say we want to build our life on our rock, Jesus Christ. And would you lead us forward in that? And I pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.